All right, Monday on the Fan Morning Show, which means a series wrap-up from the Toronto Blue Jays' third loss series in a row. In Texas, and they're headed to Miami for a three-game set against the Marlins with an off day before they head home. And they need this off day to get healthy and get things back on track. But before that, got the Miami Marlins. We're going to talk to David Sampson, former president of the Miami Marlins and current host of the Nothing Personal podcast. How's it going this morning, David? I'm going very well. Thank you. Well, thanks for joining us. Um, we are working through some stuff here in Toronto. I know uh, we have big, high aspirations for this Blue Jays team. They have, you know, often uh, left us wanting more. You watch a series like this weekend, uh, Blue Jays blowing a 6 nothing lead um, to the Texas Rangers to wrap up the series with another loss. Like, what's the pulse um, more external from Toronto on just where this Blue Jays team is and, and if they can do what we've wanted them to do, which is to get a little further in the playoffs this time? around but we can go external and internal we can start <laughs> external and so i understand that when you blow a six nothing lead you feel like you're behind even the orioles and you can't even see the rays in first place you feel a level of despondency wondering is laddie okay and this is a type of year where everyone starts panicking externally when your team in your mind is not really living up to the expectations but I promise you that's not what's going on internally inside the clubhouse. So my advice to you externally is to recognize that uh, if you're willing to be angry when your team blows a 6 nothing lead, don't forget to remember when they come back from being down 6 nothing, because those things happen on both sides, but we tend to just remember the negative. So there's a lot of season left to play, mm-hmm. and obviously the American League East is, is in an interesting place where the worst team is above 500, and there's a chance that – all playoff teams could, in theory, come from the American League East. They're all three wild cards. So it's an, it's going to be a great rest of the season. So if we're doing internal, external, and maybe the Blue Jays are fine internally, although they've shown some cracks, at least in terms of, like, yeah, playing clean baseball and winning baseball and baseball that you would uh, be convinced could translate when they and if they reach the postseason. But if internally okay – is the biggest issue, at least from like a crisis point standpoint, a big picture, not just, you know, the last few weeks or months or this season, but like trying to win a World Series over the next couple of years, is that other teams have surpassed them, that the Orioles are this now, and maybe the Texas Rangers are a potential juggernaut, and maybe the AL East will never go away, but at least if the, you know, the Rays and Yankees are expected to be good, and all of a sudden the Orioles are great, is the biggest issue facing the Blue Jays really external, and that other teams are just so good that it's going to be really, really difficult to cash in on Bo and Vlad, given that other teams have reached a point where maybe the Blue Jays can't get to. So that's something you have to fight internally. So what you're saying is so fascinating to me where you're looking at other teams in your division. And we used to do this looking at the national league East, saying, how is it possible to compete with the Braves, with the Phillies, with the Mets? And you find yourself getting caught up in that when you lose. And when you win a game, you say, wait a minute, we can hang with them. We can do this. Let's see if we can add at the deadline and maybe get on a run and get lucky. And that's a team with a, a bottom payroll, which is what we had with the Marlins. When you're the blue Jays, and you know that your front office has you, which they do with Mark and, 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 and Rogers. They, they have a payroll, and they do add when necessary. So internally what goes on is the players are saying to themselves, all we have to do is stay in this and help ourselves, and we'll get some extra help around the deadline. And then we just have to hope for a better September than others and then get hot in October. 
And all you have to do is look at the Phillies last year. There's always a team where there is, uh, you know, you get hot at the right time and it can carry you all the way to a pennant. So there really is no panic inside the Blue Jays clubhouse. From a front office standpoint, we always worry about players getting older and getting more expensive because every team needs players to outperform their contracts. And when they're younger, it's easier as they get paid more. So take Aaron Judge. He'll never be able to outperform his contract or Garrett Cole or Max Scherzer or I can name 10 players, even Ryu, right? You can never, ever outperform large contracts. So as the players are getting older, you do feel a little more tense, like we better get this done now, but you never show that inside the clubhouse. Uh, so it's getting a little toxic, the conversation around Vladimir Guerrero Jr., uh, not just struggles at the plate. There's been some things on the base paths. There's been some things in the field. And it seems like, uh, you know, things are reaching somewhat of a boiling point, at least with him uh, internally within the market. But I wonder because, you know, things are burning a little bit hotter here than they would be outside of the market, how Vladimir Guerrero Jr. and his struggles are being viewed like around baseball and league wide and, and among national reporters uh, and onlookers. Well, I've been saying on your station for years now, and, and I've known Vladimir Jr. since he was a kid when, when I had his dad with the Expos, uh, I, I was okay with not signing him to a long-term deal and keeping him hungry and keeping him year to year. And I think what the Blue Jays are learning with this season is that he's definitely not as bad as he's playing this year nor as good when people were expecting him to be Vladimir Sr. I think people forget that Vladimir Sr., Hall of Fame, special, special player, so I think what the Blue Jays do is they've got to make a decision with who they extend. You cannot extend everybody. You can't keep everybody. And I think what this does is it, it just confirms to the front office that we're going to keep Vladimir going year to year, and then we'll see what happens as he hits free agency. So when some of the biggest stars of your franchise are struggling, like Vladdy and like Alec Manoa, who obviously we know has been optioned to Florida Complex League, and those two faces are struggling. What's the role that the front office can do to best support them? Obviously, there's a lot of internal discussion, as you mentioned, and maybe that's more positive than we're seeing. But in your in your history of, of, of being involved, and if you've had a previous example somewhat similar of Vladdy, like what is the role that is happening maybe behind the scenes that we don't see? So upstairs versus downstairs. Let's talk about mm-hmm. that. Upstairs inside the office when you're sitting with your GM every single day, which you do, and you're sitting with the owner every single day, which you do, you're planning always for the worst. You're planning for the possibility that Manoa was a unicorn and that season was not who he was and this season is who he is. And as you're looking at your team going forward, you're saying, I don't know that we can expect what he did to actually happen again. And you do not ever let that bleed downstairs. So downstairs, when you're around the players, you're assuming that what's happening now is the outlier. I can't tell you how important it is to stay positive and optimistic because it's such a grind this season. And players go through ups and downs, and the media is so quick to point out slumps and throw up statistics. Over the last 30 games, he has a 5.69 ERA. And those are the types of things that that are happening externally that we try to block out internally because we don't judge or scout based on a sample size that's too small. So we're not saying that Manoa is a Cy Young winner and let's extend him. And we're not saying that he's a minor league pitcher, so let's be done with him. We're trying to figure out which is right, and we're trying to take the emotion out of it. So I I don't think that there is a 
a panic with Alec, but there's certainly an, a trying to figure out, you know, which one is Alec. And I don't think we know yet. The best front offices can figure it out faster. They're no smarter or they're not Nostradamus or I forgot that Johnny Carson Karnak, was that his name? Front offices are not that. But you try to take information that you have and you try to get to the right decision faster than other people. And the better front offices can do that. And the worst front offices uh, wait too late to make their decisions. So the Blue Jays had an interesting offseason, right? I mean, they they were kind of like there's a team that could hit a lot of home runs, powerful, but still like on the innocent climb, I guess, if you want to put it that way, where it's like, yeah, we're just building and we're going to see how things shake up or shake down. Uh, and, you know, we'll do what we feel is necessary with the talent that we've accrued over the course of a small rebuild. But at least in the offseason, it's like, okay, we desperately need optimization. We need left-handed bats. We need outfield defense. We need all these very specific things. And they went out and tried to fill those buckets by trading away from their surplus, which was in some ways like home mm-hmm. run hitting and power, at least from the right-handed side. uh, Where do you stand on, like, just being who you are in terms of, like, hey, could you just not be who they are, like, the best version of yourself rather than trying to hit off or check off all the boxes on what a great baseball team should be, at least in terms of having every single dimension or every single tool? Is there an argument for just being the best version of who you are as a baseball team and just trying to cover off for mistakes or deficiencies that way by just being more in the more natural way that you already are. I will never forget a conversation that I had with a manager. One of the managers we fired, there were so many, I don't exactly remember which one it was, but we had a uh, all right-handed bullpen and you're supposed to have left-handers in your bullpen. And we just did not have any good left-handers. We were scouring the minor league market, the minor league free agents, the rule five. We were looking at little trades and the manager said, listen, I don't really care. We can go into the season with all right-handed bullpen. Just tell me, do they get lefties out? And so we were going through the stats and we had some righties who were actually, this does happen where you can have righties who have better splits against left-handed hitters. And so we went into the season and we had an all righty bullpen. And so I think it's very overblown and it doesn't really happen as much inside a clubhouse where you look at your inventory, and I don't mean to be so harsh, but that's what players are, their inventory, and you're figuring out how does the puzzle fit together. And while you're trying to have the puzzle fit together, you're not necessarily trying to check every box of this number of lefty starters and righty starters, or here's a good one. Uh, In the National League East, there were a lot of very good lefty hitters uh, back in the day. And so the the point was you better have good lefty starters. And it was the same thing. It was, no, let's get the best starters we have and let them get major league hitters out. So I really don't think that front offices necessarily are, are, are drafting to a position or drafting to a weakness. And when I say drafting, I both mean the amateur draft and I mean what you're doing during the off season with free agency. You always need more pitching. You could always use better hitters, more power, more contact, more average. So really you're just looking at signing the best players you possibly can, but the noise can be significant in on Twitter, in the media, uh, even from some people within your organization, from the owner who can read stuff and say, wait a minute, we've got to get a lefty out of the pen or we've got to get a lefty bat. But again, the better front offices don't look at it that way. 
We're speaking with David Sampson, former president of the Miami Marlins and current host of the Nothing Personal podcast. So the trade deadline is about seven weeks away at this point. So obviously we start to think about what the Toronto Blue Jays might do, might not do, if there's a even a small, small chance that you could see them as um, sellers. But I think buyers is probably where we, we expect it. But when you look at the prospect capital, we'll start with that. Do you worry that the Blue Jays are just kind of bare cupboards and, and not really able to to put a lot on the line either way? Um, we talk a lot about this uh, organizational resources um, as being kind of thin when you look at the Blue Jays. Well, the last time they won the World Series, it was, uh, was it 93, 30 years ago? It is was. that right? Yep. Yeah. So I think that my view and what the Blue Jays' view is, it doesn't matter how many rings. I've got a whole bunch of rings from minor league championships, and they're nice. It's nice to have them. They'll be nice giveaways when I'm, you know, to my kids when I'm dead. But the World Series ring, that they're going to fight over. So I think that uh, what they're really trying to do is win a World Series. And if you have to trade for your prospect capital, I've never been a big fan of sending out a press release when you're ranked the number one farm system. And when, you know, in Baseball America or MLB.com or do a release, we've got eight prospects in the top 100. I never was excited about that because that's not the object of the game. Mm. The object is to win at the major league level. The object is to win a World Series ring. So I think the Blue Jays will not be sellers by any stretch. They are way too good a team, and they're certainly in a position to get into the playoffs. And once you're in the playoffs, anything can happen. So I do think that they're going to figure out a way to try to get better But keep in mind, there's only one deadline now. So it used to be that you had till August 31st and you could do trade waivers and and still acquire players until the end of August. So I think that there'll be more teams now who actually stand past because just because you're you're not buying a player or quote unquote buyers, it doesn't mean you've given up on your team. It means that you don't see a fit because the sellers are trying to take advantage of the buyers because there's so many more buyers. So don't immediately criticize your home team if they don't, quote unquote, buy correctly or buy enough at the deadline. Uh, So the Blue Jays are in Miami for, I guess, a rare three-game set uh, against the Marlins, uh, who are having a good season, upstart Marlins. Uh, What should the Blue Jays and Blue Jays fans be aware of, given that uh, you're facing uh, an untraditional opponent, I guess, in the Miami Marlins tonight, who are having uh, a pretty good season? Well, you look at the pitching staff every day, and you realize, wow, every day they're throwing out a starter who can throw a shutout. And all of a sudden, the offense, which couldn't score, you've got the best hitter in baseball in a rise, at least from an average standpoint. You know he's going to be on base. And the key for the Marlins is they've had people behind Arias, you know, hit and drive him in. And so not only are the Marlins scoring runs, but they're also pitching very well. And I would argue if I'm the Blue Jays going into Miami, let's be focused, not overlook them. They have obviously won against bad teams. And they've had a schedule that's been favorable to them, but give them credit. They have taken advantage of it. When you're playing the White Sox and the Nationals and the A's, you got to win those games if you want to be competitive, and they've won them. And it feels good when you're a team and you walk into the clubhouse and you know that your starting pitcher is going to give you a chance to win. And uh, we used to, with the Expos, we had one good starting pitcher, a guy named Javier Vasquez, and then we'd hope for four rainouts. And, and, we had opposing teams come in four out of five days thinking, wow, you know, we've got this. We can go out the night before and we're still going to win this game. When you're playing the Marlins, 
you better not go out because every single day of your series, there's not one give me game where you look in advance and say, all right, we can win two out of three. If we can get this bonus game against their best pitcher, great. But if not, we can win the series. There's no rest with the Marlins. And that is rare in this day and age when you can go five deep in the starting rotation. Uh, you know, beyond the American League East, which is obviously a huge challenge here for the Toronto Blue Jays, uh, trying to chase a team which seems uh, completely uh, impossible at this point in the Tampa Bay Rays for the division, just trying to get into the wild card is the goal right now for Toronto. And one of the unintended or unexpected hurdles might be that the Angels are right there in the wild card race and making things a little bit more difficult on teams trying to get in through the back door. And of course, driving that is Shohei Atani, who leads the major leagues in home runs, who is, I think, fourth in the major leagues in fan graphs war. Um, is this an even better version of Shohei this year than it was in previous years? <laughs> At some point, you have to say to yourself that if he's the MVP every year, I was on record that he should have won the MVP last year over Judge. It was obviously amazing to watch Judge hit 62 home runs. But Otani's two players, and he's not just two average players. He's two all-star caliber players. He's an all-star pitcher and an all-star hitter. I think he's leading all of Major League Baseball in home runs. He's also leading all of Major League Baseball, at least the American League, in batting average against. It's just unheard of. However, it's never led to the Angels doing anything. And so what interests me is, could this be the year? You know, they're eight games over, I think. And, you know, Mike Trout and Shohei Otani, between them, have zero playoff wins. Zero. It's almost impossible to believe with Otani about to be a free agent and with Trout been around, and he's no longer, to me, even one of the top five or ten players in baseball. But that said, it's, it's amazing they haven't done better faster. So, of course, you have to look out for the Angels. But I would say... Uh, not as much as you have to look out for teams in the American League East. Speaking with David Sampson, former president of the Miami Marlins and current host of the Nothing Personal podcast. Okay, so let's talk about the Oakland-Vegas drama, the saga that we're seeing. Um, obviously, the reverse boycott last week, 28,000 fans showing up for the game. Um, I saw that the, the A's bought a... Um, a billboard in Vegas to congratulate the Vegas Golden Knights. They're certainly making their future maybe presence known. So where do you stand just with the, uh, I guess the, the bill that's being established, they might make this move over to Vegas. And if it's, if it's really going to happen, if it's tenable Manfred's comments, there's a lot to unpack here. Yeah, I've got, uh, I'm on an Island a little bit. I don't believe mm. that the deal is even close to done for them to move to Vegas. It's nice that they got the public financing done. It's nice that they bought a digital billboard, but give me a break. None of that matters. It doesn't mean anything. They've got to come up with a stadium finance plan, not just the public side, but the private side. Then they've got to come up with construction documents to show that they can actually build the ballpark on nine acres. And then they've got to come up with financial projections where they can convince MLB that their team will be healthier in Vegas than it is in Oakland. And that's going to be tested by the other owners because the owners don't want to keep giving so many revenue sharing dollars to the A's and the owners don't want to give up Vegas as an expansion market. So they've always preferred a deal to get done in Oakland. I agree that it is in the ninth inning, but that's when all the deals happen. And so right when you're about to lose the team or right when it's about to never happen, deals tend to happen. And so I still think there's a chance but there's got to be communication between Oakland and the city of Oakland and the team and Major League Baseball. 
and we'll see how it plays out. But I would not act as though the way the other media is acting, where they're writing the obituary of the A's in Oakland and they're writing that the team has already moved to Vegas and then they're using the billboard as an example of that. I found that to be awfully funny. Yeah, it's uh, kind of pulling at whatever you can at this point. Um, I, I think at the, after the reverse boycott and it maybe is the right. I don't know. Maybe to get your perspective on this, if it is the right move to happen, if Oakland moving to Vegas would be the best move, but maybe not the the most uh, likely at this point. Do you think that them moving to Vegas should happen? You have to have a new ballpark in Oakland. You have to. The Coliseum, I hated going to the Coliseum when the Marlins would play there. Just hated it. It's just gross. And and that's the nicest thing I can say about it. And so they've been trying to get a ballpark for a long, long time and trying to figure out what to do with that team for a long, long time. So I understand that a decision has to be made. But when we thought about moving the Marlins to Vegas, which we never wanted to do, but we pretended we did, mm-hmm. I went to Vegas and, and, you know, you meet with the mayor and you figure out, is this possible? Even at that time, though, there were no professional teams there and, and gambling was not a thing and sports betting was not a thing and Bud Selig, no way, was letting the team move to Vegas. That said, Vegas is not exactly the biggest market in the world. And that's why you're seeing such a focus on tourists. Mm-hmm. And so in the in the speeches and in the stump speeches and the projections, what the A's were saying and the legislators were saying is there's going to be 5,000 tourists a game who go to get, who will go to an A's game in Vegas. And, and owners are not stupid when they're sitting there deciding what should happen with the Oakland A's. They know that you're not going to get 5,000 tourists to walk and go to every single A's game every night over 81 nights. That's just not how it will happen. So I I think there is some question whether or not the market is saturated there. And it didn't used to be, but now you've got hockey and you've got football and so bring and, and WNBA. So bringing in a fourth professional team, it is definitely not the slam dunk that it used to be. Yeah. It's interesting because it's a different ball game, right? I mean, uh, we've, you know, the expectation wasn't that the Vegas golden Knights would be a smashing success among locals, but it has been, it hasn't just been tourists and free ticket giveaways at casinos. And you've got, you know, eight home dates for the Raiders and that's a little bit easier to sell, but 81 home games for a, a baseball team. Uh, yeah, you're going to have to have locals supporting that team uh, day in and day out because it seems a little hopeful thinking that only tourists and only uh, visitors will want to be at those games. Uh, David, this was fun. We appreciate you uh, getting up early for us this morning, and hopefully we can do it again soon. Well, I've got nothing personal live at 8 a.m., so I'm not up early anytime. I appreciate it. There you go. Nothing personal. Got to check it out. Thanks again, David. It's David Sampson, former president of the Miami Marlins. Blue Jays are in Miami tonight and current host of, as he mentioned, the Nothing Personal podcast, which they're taping at 8 a.m. There you go. Um, I think it's so interesting that the Vegas is obviously the hot, hot market. But yeah, 81 home games when you're already struggling to get fans that support this team in Oakland to come to those. And then you're going to move to Vegas where, yeah, it's it's a big hotspot for tourists, but 81 games to try to get better attendance and fill a stadium and create a fan base is a big in the middle of summer too when it's like oppressively hot there games are in the daytime in the middle of summer better be a roof on that thing better be a roof imagine the dome they'll cooking and just be like a big air fryer and the smoke alarm goes (laughs) off in my place imagine it (laughs) mother nature's smoke alarm will be going off there you go um okay later in the show i gotta tease this now 
for those who have been listening to the show long enough, you know I have a favorite band from my youth, little, little, I guess, rock, punk rock. We're giving away tickets. It's definitely rock. Yeah, we're giving away tickets later to this band. So if you listen to the show, you should know which band I'm talking about that I was, like, big fan of in my angsty youth. I had the, Do you, you had an angsty face? Oh, my God. I had the checkered belt. I can't see that. The checkered black and white belt with the checkered vans, and this band's T-shirt was my look. Good, I was a little punk. Straight up good Charlotte? Similar to that band is the tickets we're just giving a better, away. a better band, a Canadian. A better, okay, you're really giving it away now. Well, I mean, just, why not? Just no, I it. just want to tease people to listen later in the show. We're giving away okay, tickets. Okay, Ailish's favorite childhood band, and we're giving away tickets too. all week too. long we will be doing that, so stay tuned for that. Uh, but it's not it's, good Charlotte. It's, no, it's not, no, it's not. It's Cyber Sunday Chew on brought to you by Great Canadian Meats. Yum, yum, yum. Okay, this is nice. It's Shai Davidi, um, who wrote some really great, well, we had a lot of great coverage for Father's Day posts. Um, especially the Blue Jays did this really cute video. I don't know if you saw it. It was like the dads giving themselves a report card on I missed that. what kind of dads they are, like grading themselves on cooking, on putting the kids to bed on time. It's really sweet. So you should go check that out on their page. But um, Shai Davidi wrote a great article about Whit Merrifield and his dad, Bill. So at the end of 2015, when Whit was a prospect for the Kansas City Royals, he contemplated walking away from baseball. Um, then Shy wrote in his piece that before Merrifield made that decision, he sat down with his dad, Bill, who had pl- pulled the plug on his own pro career at 26. Um, Merrifield like had this moment, this conversation with his dad and said, quote, I'm not having a good time. I'm struggling to find a want to go to the field every day and try to continue to chase this. And he understood it was kind of sucking the life out of me. But he ultimately decided to give it one more year. He added 20 pounds of muscle that offseason. Holy smokes. That's a lot of work. Um, and he was the Royals' final cut out of spring training, eventually earned a promotion in May. Then he became obviously a mainstay for Kansas City in 2017, went to earn all-star selections in mm-hmm. 2019 and 2021. And look at him now. Um, he's batting second yesterday. Moving up the Blue Jays' moving order. Moving up the order. Um, and just a really great story. You should check that out. Uh, Shai Davidi wrote, but about you know the role that parents have sometimes in sporting careers and if it's time to hang it up and maybe it's time to get another last push and it worked for wit and so it was a really nice story and so you could check that out um on our website there you go billy's just like handed him a protein shake told He's him to like, put on 20 up, pounds buddy there's only one way son. and look at you now <laughs> no that's a good story that's great <laughs> yeah um speaking of bulking up we're talking about the oral roberts baseball team oh yeah and their gummy worms we've got some text in Mark and Uxbridge, who says he is a pro snacker certified. Coke <laughs> bottles, flaming lips, and sour jube jubes. Secret about the sour ones is the black is actually grape. I was telling Justin, you would, I'd have to be. Is it? I feel like I actively avoided those for. Well, secret. Actually, no, 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 no. They're no. actually grape. You're thinking black They're licorice. definitely the worst ones, though. Yeah, I'm going to steer clear from like. The black gummy bear, like the, the black licorice flavor isn't for me. Yeah, black licorice, no good. But Flaming Lips has to be maybe the worst thing ever I created. I love Flaming Lips. Those are Hot just tamales, gross. Mike and Ike's. Now, now I don't They're like that at all. It's not for me. Okay. Sour Patch Kids, that's a, that's a Texan Andrew and St. John. Elite, Those elite, are elite. certainly elite. Um, we've got Dave and Barry with a piece that he's fired up about. Candy. I'm a team sour candy all the way. That's right. Give that first base base coach a full bowl of sour candies, and I am stepping in front of pitches just to get a hit so I can get to base. 
cherry blaster, sour grapes, sour blueberry. I don't care. Just give them to me all. <laughs> Lol, gummy worms are the are trash unless you make them sour gummy worms, of course. And then they become absolutely elite. Sour Patch Kids, elite travel snacks. Dave and Barry, he's a big, big sour candy guy. Even like, like sour keys, I think, are the ones that get stale the quickest or the easiest. If like, you don't you eat them immediately. You can have a stale sour key. It's like a rock. But yeah, it's like beef jerky. But even that, give me a stale sour key and I will... I'll get through that. Do you thing. remember Jawbreakers? Oh, yeah. My parents wouldn't let me get those. Those big ones where you have to, like, put it in plastic it's kinda, wrap? You always had that kid, though. Like, there's a kid I can picture on the schoolyard with this, the big jawbreaker, and his hands are covered in that white chalk, yeah. and his tongue is, like, green the and blue. The whole mouth is blue. And the whole time, he's just going at this jawbreaker while you're on recess. I can picture that. I know his name, and I'm not going <laughs> to say it. But there are easier ways to, I see him. to have sugar intake than that big thing. That if you choked on it, like you're done. If you make it, like, it to the done. final of that, like you eat that whole thing, you are a champion. It's an actual baseball. That how? What is the percent that people buy jawbreakers and don't complete it? Like, do you think there's like a five percent success rate to complete that? What's Luis Arise hitting four hundred or was? He's almost hitting four hundred. He's got a better success rate at the plate. <laughs> jawbreakers. I'm glad that I didn't get. My parents were like, "You can't have those. It's bad for you. Bad for your teeth." All the dentists are just licking their lips at this conversation. Everyone's <laughs> headed to Bulk Barn later to stock up on candy, and yeah. then in two months, they'll be headed to their dentist. Thanks, Fan Morning started Show. started that. So you're welcome, dentists, because today we're all about the candy intake. Okay, winners and losers after the break, as our Monday tradition, we'll have Frank Valley at 8 o'clock today, so you can get an extra hour of sleep. And he's joining us. We'll chat about that Matthews meeting with... Brad Trey Living, if that means as much as we're hoping it means. Peter Galindo at 8.30, the Canada-USA final. Not the success story we hope for Canada. Tiba Hutchinson and his final appearance uh, for Canada, for the club, uh, what this means maybe for the future. How you start to remember Tiba Hutchinson's career, because it's a lengthy one. He was, he's, been, he's 40 years old. <laughs> he played a lot of soccer Canadian press. legend. And we'll do the wake and rake. You got Jays and Marlins today. Uh, we're, you're, hopefully the baseball specialists are ready to come out and play. And we'll recap a little bit more um, U.S. Open and Toronto Argos kicking off their season with a win. So winners and losers after the break. The best Blue Jays show out there, period. Blair and Barker. Be sure to subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Back on the Fan Morning Show, Sports at 590 The Fan. You're playing a little Shawn Mendes. He made an appearance at Ed Sheeran this weekend. Bad back-to-back shows at Rogers. I was surprised Rogerside. you weren't there, to be honest. You know what? I'm not a big Ed Sheeran guy. No? I think he's extremely talented. He does the whole thing himself. He's out there with, like, every instrument under the sun. But I just have never been, like, obsessed with Ed Sheeran. Tickets are pretty expensive. We, we, we definitely have, like, different, like, concert um, ambitions, if I put it that way. Okay. He, I would like, I, there's almost no one I would pay to go see. Almost no one. Yeah. Like, I'm cheap, yeah, cheap. I'm, uh, you know, a recluse, a loser, whatever okay. you want to call Whoa. it. Like, I'm not, I would not spend a lot of money because it's just too expensive. So, I like, mm-hmm. generally, no. But if someone offered me free tickets, I'd go to see Ed well, Of course I'd go for free. But, like, I'm even, that, that says something to me. That doesn't say anything for you. Mm-hmm. Like, I would go if it were free. Most people, I would not go. If you offered me free Taylor Swift tickets, I would not go. You're insane. Those you could. Those are for. I would six try to, to get them. Thousand dollars and at this then point. burn the relationship that in order to acquire them by selling them to someone wow, else. Wow, that's gutty. Yeah, I know. I heard great things about it, but I just about Sheeran yeah, or yeah, Sheeran. Swift. Both really. Who would you rather see? Taylor Swift. 
She's the moment right now. I'm I telling you, it, she's, like the, she's the superstar of my generation. People are obsessed with her. I don't understand it, man. But I we're don't. not giving away tickets for that, but we will be giving away tickets in about 15 minutes. I would go to that show. Oh, I, I, I'm very, okay, I'm just, I'll save it. I want to go to the show, but I can't. I'm currently lined up to go to three <laughs> concerts this week, so it's going to be a, a big week for Ailish. Summer of Fours is uh, this, commenced. Here. I don't know why everyone decided to perform this week in Toronto, but I currently have three concerts lined up. It's, it's kind of it's tough for someone that prides myself on going to bed right after a sporting event. It'll be a late week. but There's a lot of prep, too. It's going to be good. It's going to be a good week, so let's see if I survive it. Um, winners and losers. I'm a winner if I get to go to all three and I survive. Um, winners. I got a couple from the U.S. Open, even though it was kind of a loser-esque weekend. Okay. Winners are the regular golfer, the amateur golfer, me well, and you. Why is that? Because listen to all the things that happened that we can always now use as, well, this happened at the U.S. Open. DJ, a quadruple bogey. The next time I get a quadruple bogey, I'll be like, DJ got a quadruple bogey at the U.S. Open. <laughs> Xander Shoffley took three <laughs> okay. shots to get out of a bunker. Okay. Three shots get out of a bunker. If I ever had that happen, which is extremely high percentage, Xander Shoffley did it at mm-hmm. the U.S. Open, so it's not a big deal. Wyndham, our buddy, mm-hmm. literally was in a jungle at one point and could not find the ball, and he had to have multiple shots to, to locate this ball. So if I lose my ball... Did he not get it like up and down from he there? He did, but don't worry The about only that. thing I can really relate to There's is more. Rory... Sorry, I'll quickly add one. Rory McIlroy... Plugging one and then taking it out and being like, "Oh, I'm so, not going to exactly. take a stroke." If That's the, ball, the only one if I can. The ball to. goes into the Earth's magma core like it did for Rory. I'm going to reach in there and take it out and have a free drop. Cam Young legitimately shot the ball with. I don't think you could ever ever done this. You know how those people do trick shots on Instagram or YouTube where they try something a thousand times and it finally happens. Sure, yes, they, yes. Do, nobody can do this. Big pandemic shot a ball, activity. Yeah, shot a ball into. It landed into the golf cart ball holder. You know where the mm. balls go in the golf cart? Somehow yes. the ball, I don't know how you even. Free drop, I bet. Ins- yeah, of course, of course a free drop. What, are you going to hit it from inside the golf cart? It's unplayable, and therefore, there should be a penalty stroke. Adam Hadwin. If you were there, you'd be. I would have taken a free drop. Slap I would have, and wrist. That's an immaculate moment in uh, my golf experience. Is it going to be nicer now when we golf? I, like, that's oh, what I'm take saying. A free drop, Justin. Adam Hadwin threw his club into the woods. <laughs> Who hasn't? And then went and got it himself and said yeah. it was because he was a good Canadian boy. So a win for all of us that have bad golf moments because it happens to the best of us, okay? So just, okay, you so. know what? Laugh it off and just think the U.S. Open was full of, oh, and I forgot. Who was it? Um, Gordon Sargent. Okay, that was Gordon ridiculous. Gordon Sargent's putt. Went in the hole and came out. So anything that ever comes close to me of that happening, I just, I, I can't, I can't even explain how, what are the odds on that one too? Uh, Gordon Sargent's ball legitimately goes in the ball in the hole, comes out. The USGA did explain what happened on that one. What did happen? I didn't see that. Um, they explained, quote. They had a bad cup is what happened. A member of the group ahead inadvertently adjusted the whole liner when removing the flag stick. Unfortunately, we were not informed of any damage. It has since been adjusted back into place. But that was there's so many once in a million moments in mm-hmm. that golf tournament. So if you go out this week and you have a terrible round, just think of all those players. Unfortunately for you and I and most people, it's not one in a million. It's like one per hole. But it happens. I will. Say, I'm going to say losers for the USGA because you know we we went through the ticket stuff, mm-hmm. the hole, the course, everything that went into the golf tournament, everything that went into the U.S. Open 
was kind of a failure, but the worst thing is like the best players in the world saying that the venue you chose sucked. That's terrible. like, it's bad. The USGA had a bad, bad week and the Gordon Sargent moment oddly was kind of the thing that not like embodied at all, but it was like, how is that even possible when you're playing for a major championship and the cup isn't put in properly <laughs> or it's displaced so easily that a guy sinks a two put two foot putt and it bounces out like that. Can you like, imagine I, watching that? You're, if you're that happened, Gordon? I played Hockley yesterday. If that happened at Hockley Valley, I would have been like slamming tables uh, when I came back into the pro shop. Like that is brutal. And he's standing there watching it. It's like an out-of-body experience. The plops back out. The only solace is that he's an amateur, right? And he won. Money. He won the uh, silver medal. He was my guy. What do you make he was my of, guy at the Masters. He sucked. What do you make of the U.S. Open giving medals to the winners like i know it's historic but like okay with it presenting the gold medal to Wyndham clock it is really small it that's the thing it's it looks like something you get at dollarama yeah it's it's quite petite it's small it needs to be bigger do you does it need to be like a massive you know like Like an olympic gold give us a no no olympic size big hats big chains that's the size of a toonie olympic size would be nice Olympic okay. does it right. Tommy Fleetwood in the Venn diagram, maybe. Why? Because because he had a sixty. He had sixty three in the final final round. Sixty three, only player to accomplish the feat twice, but lost. And he tweeted about it, being like, "At least I got this really great accomplishment." Sorry, he shot sixty three twice this weekend. No, he he tweeted that he. Or he did it at a previous year. Yeah, he tweeted that he was like proud that he got this opportunity to shoot sixty three twice. And I'm like, well, you also didn't win. But his tweet was, after coming off disappointed, it's pretty cool to be the first human ever to shoot two 63s on a Sunday at the U.S. Open. Tom, Tommy's got to win a t- golf tournament. Yeah, he like, needs he's a really, win. He's he down really, bad. He really, yeah, Tommy's he down in a bad. tough spot. He's looking the, at The most down bad making. golfer in, on tours. I'm good on Sundays, but I haven't won. So that's fun. Yeah. How about this record? Two 63s in separate tournaments, winning absolutely nothing. Except a lot of prize money. So I guess congratulations go. to... Tommy Fleetwood, uh, but big congratulations, winner to Wyndham Clark, uh, becoming mm-hmm. a major champion, something that we probably thought would never be a thing. I mean, it seems like a it would have to always be a one-off for a guy like Wyndham Clark, but he wins and he's now forever a major champion. I will say that celebration, like it was really a lot of testosterone going on. Oh. That was masculine. Usually it's like, it was like a primal yell. It was a big hug. He just won the US Open. What do you want him to do? I, I just thought that was a little more aggressive than we know. I, I like when you see emotion. Like Yeah, it was emotional. It was like... Urgh. I liked it. Oh, the, who was it? I think it was Jordan Spieth. Did you see that tee shot where he, I can't, we can't play it on the radio because he swears. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But that was emotion. His no, entire that, that body. Was, that was me yesterday. Yeah. Uh, anyway. That was the thing shots. I can relate to. There you go. Now, I'm gonna, now the 10 things that uh, you rhymed off earlier. Oh, they're real. We got to get to Canada soccer yes. at some point. So let's go to a loser. Canada soccer. Losers. Mm. Uh, Canada loses to the United States in the Nations Cup final yesterday. And that's like a big spot. Like it's been 23 years since they played for a trophy. And like generally that's cause for celebration, right? Like, yeah, you're in a final. It's not often that Canada soccer Mm -hmm. playing in finals, but a lot of negativity coming after a resounding 2-1 loss to the Americans. Not really competitive, not prepared in a lot of people's minds. People are putting blame on this and that. Herdman... The, you want to play the Herdman quote? Let's go to the Herdman quote, because Herdman is front and center in all this, and I think it is worth talking about how Canada got to this point, what might be ailing Canada right now, and Herdman's reaction to it all. 
you know, I think it's not a secret. The organisation has been suffering financially. You know, even through, you know, the World Cup qualification, you know, your head coach is raising money to make sure we've got charter flights, security on those charter flights. I mean, that's that's it. That's that's where, you know, we've we've got the best generation of players we've had. And there's more coming. You can see it. You know, young corner just dropped out of the sky. That, that supports, we, we've got to figure this out financially. There's, we've got to get serious about winning a World Cup. When you play at home, you get a chance to win it. You get a chance to get to a semi-final, a quarter-final, semi-final, and then get on that roll to win it. And we're not serious. We've brought a World Cup to our country, and we're not serious about winning it. And you see how close that team is tonight. Tactically, we were there. Chances, shots, we were there. The margins were so tight tonight. So tight. We've, we've, we've got to get real. We've got to get real and quick. Because these players, they deserve it. They deserve this shot. The country deserves it. All the people that work to bring it deserve the shot. Let's get after it. I mean, he's not wrong. It's interesting, though, because it's like, okay, we were right there. Uh, does, like, you know, it, the ease of which acquiring a charter make it so that you convert on the chances you get? Like, I, I, like, mm-hmm. I, I, like I've like been really critical of Canada soccer. I mm-hmm. was right after the World Cup. I was really concerned about the next four years because there was all those whispers about Canada soccer and all that stuff. Yes, these players should have it easy to get to a final in terms of accommodations, travel, proper preparation, all that stuff. Maybe so. But his comments are a little different than other comments and other media and fans who thought they were dreadful in the game. Well, did you get out coach? You're the coach. Some of that responsibility is also on you. True. Yeah. But I think that there's, and we have Peter Glindo at 830, so perfect time. We'll unpack it all. Perfect time to break through some of that. But yeah, the lead up time, the amount of preparation that they had for this, like there's real reasons that they felt underprepared. And I think the big picture is, yeah, you're bringing a World Cup to this country time to take it seriously i think that's a real sticking point they've had so many issues since they were at the last world cup in 2022 right it was the uh, contract dispute um there was new leadership there's no cba uh budget cuts players outwardly criticizing your team it's been a bit quiet now and now you play for this trophy and you fall short it's like where are where are we now right and i think it's a good Reflection point. To his point, though, it all it seems like everyone's a little irritated, and maybe that does affect like the strength of the mm-hmm. organism. If all the parts, all the components are a little annoyed by what's going on, the the lack of proper preparation. But again, one team looks so far superior than yes. the other, and it looked like the United States were miles ahead. And again, I don't know how much a little extra funding could fix all that. Like the funding's not about right now to me. The funding is about 2026 and beyond. They need to get their act together, yes. But Herdman's got to be better and that team's got to play better. Like Alfonso, like it's just, it, it's not a good scene right now. Like as much as Canada is failing the program, Canada soccer failing the program a little bit, there's some of it lies on the, uh, at their feet as well. And these players are not playing up to their potential. Mm-hmm. Maybe the coach, the manager isn't managing up to his potential right now. It was, it was disappointing last night. And yet that's also a good thing to be disappointed that you lost in a final to the United States yeah, there's no, on a big stage. No moral victories. So it's like, I don't, I don't know exactly how to ca- like unpack my thoughts on it, 
But I do know one thing, and that's that Canada soccer has to start acting like a legit organization or you're never going to get yourself past this where you're just like, oh, but, or we weren't properly prepared. We scored or we our don't first have goal this. at yeah, the it's, World it's, Cup. It's, it's not be, enough. It's, no, it's, it's, we're beyond that now. Mm-hmm. It's time for everyone to start acting legit. And there were pieces yesterday, certainly in, in the process of getting to yesterday, where it's like, hey, we're still rinky-dink. We're still Mickey Mouse, <laughs> yeah. right? And Canada soccer, if it wants to actually not fall on its face in 26, needs to be better than that. Yeah, it's not about... The small, you got the small victories out of the way, getting the the first goal at the World Cup, and now you have this massive stage, and you don't want to be embarrassed. You don't want to be like, you guys got here because that, you're hosting. And that wasn't like, exhale, we did it, we got no. there. No, wow, no, no, we're no. so we're so proud of ourselves. That is like the bare minimum. That is now That's the it. floor, and you need to be better than that always, um, or you're going to lose your spot in the pecking order. Winner, the Toronto Argos for their big season opening win against the rivals, Hamilton Tiger Cats, 32-14. So they kick off 1-0 to start. Hamilton Tiger Cats, 0-2. And friend of the show, Flo, my buddy, go be green. Four tackles, one sack, and his debut as an Argo. Uh, Okay, so I think we have to close this off with the Stanley Cup parade and the yep. winners and losers from that. Uh, did anyone stand out to you? William Carlson. <laughs> that was an easy... <laughs> With the I, biggest I speech moment question. of all time. Yes. We do have the clip, but I think it's a bit long to play right now because we have to give tickets away. And um, a little dangerous. But yeah, it's a little dangerous, but we might play it later in the show depending if we have some time. But uh, William Carlson, he just took the moment, took that microphone, and if you watch the video... Maybe the PR lady is trying to get it from him a few times. She's like, well, she's no, 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 the, she, no, that's no, enough. She's the biggest loser. Like, that's that was such a loser move. Interesting. Why is that on you? Because he like, might get up there and say something bad. No, but he, he, was, was, he was swearing. Absolutely you, you can do whatever you want up there. You earn that moment. That The only person who can say to William Carlson what that lady was saying, and I don't know who it is. I don't know if it was PR. I don't know if it was whatever, television, whatever it was. Uh, a spouse can say that mm. it can pull a, a husband or wife off the stage if they're embarrassing themselves <laughs> a mother could do that mm-hmm. if they're embarrassing themselves mm-hmm. no one else William Carlson earned the right to do whatever he wanted up there what about captain? Someone could the acting, captain I think the captain the, could what the woman could have done is gone up to Mark Stone yeah. and say we gotta can, get him off yeah, stage can, can, can you do what, yeah. can you do that what she did was bush that was <laughs> brutal <laughs> I was that was it was, it was awful it, was a, it looked like let a great evening let him do what he wants to do the they're folks. partying everyone's making an ass of themselves. Yeah. Let him do it. So I thought that was loser. brutal. Okay. Um, quickly, I really want to get one in here. I don't know if you saw this, but uh, Charlie Culberson from the Atlanta Braves. This is big, big. I'm torn on this one. Okay, big loser moment. Okay, so this guy, uh, Charlie Culberson, is uh, active on the Atlanta Braves roster for 27 days, doesn't appear in a single game. He's DFA'd on Sunday morning. Well, Sunday is Father's Day. And okay, didn't appear in 27 games? Yes. Why is he doing the the thing? I don't know. Let me just get to the point. His dad was scheduled to throw the first pitch at the park before Sunday's game against the Rockies. His dad, Charles Culberson, Mm -hmm. has a baseball background, was selected by the Giants in the 16th round of the 1984 MLB draft, spent five seasons in the minors. So their special father-son moment wasn't able to happen because he's DFA'd that morning and then somebody else had to throw the pitch and... Yeah, I think that's kind of a loser move. Like, why, if you're going to DFA him. On who, the Braves? Yes. Well, the Braves had an injury. They had to replace him. The I guy still... hasn't, they should, their their mistake was choosing him because he hasn't played. I know, Sean Murphy but got injured. But if you have an injury, still. you need to bring someone up. The guy who hasn't played in 27 games it's is clearly. It's tough timing. The, the situation uh, was a loser. How about that? Situation, okay. 
And Charlie Culbush in my book. Should we make people winners? Yes, we should. Yay! Billy Talent coming to Bud Stage on July 8th with special guests Cypress Hill, Cancer Bats, OBGMs, and we're giving away tickets all week long. Yeah, baby. To enter, all you have to do is tune into the Fan Morning Show, listen for our daily code word, text it into 59590. Today's code word is this suffering, not related to the Blue Jays. This suffering to 59590 right now for your chance to win. If you don't win with us, make sure to visit Ticketmaster.ca to secure your tickets. Billy Talent. Grade six Ailish so, yeah, is screaming say, right now. Young Ailish upset Ugh. in her room playing this oh, suffering. Yeah. With my is that disc how it goes? man, I legitimately had this on a CD. Mom and dad are a little worried, but it's like, it's okay. It's just a phase. Ah, uh, Billy Talent. It's going to be Billy, awesome. Billy Talent's not just a phase. It's a lifestyle. No, it is a lifestyle. Bud stage. So you know what that means? Every day we're going to get a Billy Talent song playing us into the, the after the break. It's your week, Ailish. And it's so, it's going to be great. Oh, I can't wait. Bud stage, Billy Talent, this suffering. Two words, there's a space in between them, 595.90. I hope everybody gets a chance to check them out because I'll be at a wedding and I am so upset about it. Don't talk to me about it. Okay? And don't tell the bride and groom that. <sighs> Sorry if you're listening. Frank Saravelli after the break on the Fan Morning Show.